Hey, we're in this teaching series called Exiles where we're looking through First uh, Peter and we've been going slow intentionally because we want to soak up all the flavors, everything that has First Peter has. We want to soak it up and we're going to be in uh, chapter three, verses uh, eight and really all the way to the end of the passage. But here's the thing. There is so much in this particular passage that we are not able to cover it in the depth that we would like to because of the time constraints. I, I was lobbying for a three-hour sermon this morning, um, but it, I got voted down. So if you're on my team afterwards, come talk to me in the lobby. We'll stage a coup. Uh, but, but because we weren't able to cover all of the material that's in the passage, I actually wrote a white paper. That's fancy uh, verbiage for, I dr- pulled some quotes from a commentary I was reading. Um, and it's covering the passage that we're not able to cover, in um, the section that we're not able to cover, and it's at the info desk. So if you're interested in, in learning about an interesting passage, of scripture about Jesus freeing in prison spirits and what that is all about. That's right, it's waiting for you at the info desk. But we're talking about, um, we're, we're talking about, like, if I could sum up this teaching right here in one tweetable phrase, I'm not asking you to tweet it, don't worry. Um, Jesus calls us to live lives of radiant difference. And when we live lives of radiant difference, it will provoke from friends that we're in relationship with searching questions. Tell me more. Why do you have hope? And when we get those searching questions, we are called to respond with confident answers. Not timid answers. Not uh, just kind of half-hearted or unaware answers, but, but confident answers, but to do so with gentleness and respect. Radiant lives produce searching questions that are met with confident answers that are shared with the tone of gentleness and respect. That's the tweetable phrase. It's only tweetable because Twitter gave us more characters a couple years back. Um, but years ago, uh, there's this author named Anne Rice. Maybe you're familiar with her. Um, famous for the Vampire Diaries, the Vampire Chronicles. Anyone in the house read that? Okay, we have some, so we have some ladies that have read that. Uh, if you've watched the Vampire Diaries on CW, uh, that you can, you just, I'm letting you know, Anne Rice is the reason why that's a series. So you've, you've, uh, I, I don't, I mean, I, I'll just stop there. But, but it's a thing. Anne Rice was connected with the goth movement. Remember that? Anybody in the goth movement? movement in the 90s. I won't, I, you don't have to raise your hands. Uh, I am not. I'm just giving you an example. If you really wanted to show that you were a part of the goth movement, you could raise your hand. I'm not. Just clarifying that one. Anne Rice. This is who Anne Rice is. And you're wondering, why is Brian talking about a vampire novelist at the beginning of a sermon? Well, in 2008, she uh, came out with this statement. Americans like to believe we turn to religion because of an accident or the loss of a loved one. But in my case, it was simply the culmination of searching. I wrestled with a lot of theological questions, and then one afternoon, I thought, I love you. I want to come back to you. Anne Rice, the vampire novelist, turns Jesus follower. I was a young pastor, and I was like, you know, it hit the news, and I was so intrigued. I 
I was like, what, okay, I got to figure out more about like what has prompted this like architect of the goth movement to begin to be a Jesus follower. And when I started doing some research and her coming to faith in Jesus, uh, this name, uh, the Bible scholar N.T. Wright came up a lot. Apparently she was reading this Bible scholar N.T. Wright, which was meaningful for me uh, because I read him a lot early on in my faith when I was having my own kind of faith crisis. And he answered questions that I deeply needed answers to. And so like, I felt like this kind of kindred spirit to this once vampire novelist, now Jesus follower as a young pastor. And I was like rooting for her in her new faith. And then 10 years passed and this new statement came out where she wrote, for those who care, and I understand if you don't, today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always but not being a Christian or being any part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years, I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. Wow. That breaks my heart. As a pastor, I want to talk with her. I want to, I'm like, I want, she's since passed away, so it's impossible to do that. To do that. <laughs> but I want to talk with her and say, but, 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 have you, but, there's, but there's also bad people outside of the church and, and there's good people in the church. If you could just look a little bit more closely and, or maybe I could answer these questions for you. And, but in reality, I know that this is more than just one person having this experience. This is like a very common experience. No doubt many of us know people that have shared things like that in confidence with us. I just can't do it anymore. The hypocrisy in the church has disillusioned me. I just don't know what it looks like for me to follow, to be, continue to be a part of the church. It's heartbreaking as a pastor to say that I've had conversations like that. And I know that many of us have had those as well. That's the bad news. Can we all agree? And we need to like, reject the temptation to spiritualize it or theologize it away, thinking, well, maybe she really never believed in the first place. That's not helpful. So while that's the bad news, here's the good news. If someone's faith can be negatively affected because of people, God can use our lives to have someone's faith positively affected. For someone to even find faith for the first time. And this is what Peter calls his people he's writing to, too. This group of Jesus followers that are under the pressure from their wider society to leave their faith or to conform to societal norms. They're under this pressure. And Peter is saying, live lives of radiant difference. Live lives of radiant difference. You think about the word radiant, and to, to radiate, it means that you're emitting something. Most of the time, you're emitting light where there is darkness, or emitting heat where there is coldness. You can imagine this, that Peter is calling Jesus' followers to radiate light into a world of darkness, to radiate heat into a world of coldness. So he says, finally, and I just love, if I can, in a moment, again, of pastoral comedy, uh, he says, finally, and there's two more chapters left. I mean, like, this is classic. 
classic pastor form. In my last point, that will happen to be 40 minutes long. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. These words, don't repay evil for evil, Peter is not asking Jesus' followers to kind of be some doormat for their neighbor's gripes and complaints and frustration, wiping their feet on our lives. That's not what Peter is calling Jesus' followers to. Rather, he's calling Jesus' followers to have this deep, profound, internal resolve that is rooted in the deep knowledge that we are the objects of God's unending love and the objects and recipients of his untold riches. And to live from this deep place that we are the objects of his unending love and the recipients of his deep riches so we don't need anything from anyone else. To this level of, yes, we have basic needs. Yes, we need to eat, but I don't need someone to give me some type of affirmation. I'm not living in an emotional or social deficit where I need someone to fill those needs. God has given me who I am. I have enough. Deep level of strength. It's interesting that that passages and passages like this were incredibly impactful for the civil rights movement. So as there was retaliation against them, as they marched, as they worked, as they sought for just and worked for justice, and they were the objects of attack, the mode of operation was to not retaliate in kind. And in so doing, they became this picture of integrity and witness, even as they were the objects of attacks. And largely, that impact and impetus was the reason why the civil rights movement had such wide-ranging impact because they had radiant lives. He goes on saying, whoever would live, uh, it's quoting from a psalm, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech, speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. You can note that. He's, he listens to those that are righteous. He listens to the prayers of those that are righteous. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Continuing, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed, hashtag blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Again, Peter is giving this countercultural, counterintuitive message that we should live lives of deep resolve, that we should live lives of deep integrity. As if people mock or attack us, we shouldn't respond in kind. And it's almost as if like Peter is asking Jesus followers to live according to a different scoreboard, live according to a different set of wins, play even a different game. If the world would describe its wins as such, need for affection, need for control, and need for acclaim. And in fact, psychologists would tell you that these are actually basic human needs. This is kind of more than the world desiring, you know, to look good, to have pleasure. You know, really, this is the root kind of needs that people long for, affection, control, and acclaim. This is the world's scoreboard. 
This is what determines the winds, and it's understandably so. These are things that all of us need. This is like, you know, social, basic socialization, and, and, and every, every child needs this, every adult needs this, but here's the interesting thing. Peter is saying that you should have those needs met by your vertical relationship with God, knowing that you are loved by him and by the horizontal relationship with the community that you're a part of. So that when you go out into the world, you're not going out with this deep vacancy internally, needing everyone to give you affection, offer you control, and give you acclaim. You can play by a different set of score, a different set of a different scoreboard, play according to different wins. Here's how we do this. I want to press into this a little bit. Every one of us here needs to know something critical if we're going to play not by the world's scoreboard, but by the kingdom scoreboard. Every one of us needs to know something critical. You need to know that you're loved. Every one of us. Most of us live most of our lives wondering if we really are. If we're going to be filled up above the brim so when we go out into the world, we're not needing something from the world, but rather offering something to the world, you need to know that you start your day being the object of God's attention and love. That you don't have to do anything. There's no works you could do that could get you to be loved more. You are pre-loved. Instead of needing to perform, you are preformed. Before you wake up in the morning, God loves you. You may have grown up in a home where you questioned if you are loved, but one of the main roles in our discipleship is for the Father to reparent us through the power of the Spirit, for us to come to a deep awareness that we're loved. And secondarily, we need to be invested in the life of a community where that message from God is reinforced through the real flesh and blood people that we're in community with. That's why it is impossible to follow Jesus as a solitary individual. We follow Jesus in a great community that's expressed in a number of ways here in anchor groups and growth groups and mentorship relationships. Weeks ago, I had somebody come up to me and said, Brian, I would love to mentor young men. And it was, it was great that it was not an 18-year-old woman that was saying this, but rather an, old, an, old, an older man, an older gentleman. He said, I've had cancer six times. I've had challenges that are, that are common and uncommon. And I feel like God has deposited within me something of significance that I would love to offer to young men. Like, can I just say young men in the house? Like, you need to find someone like that. I can connect you if you're interested. But like, this is how that happens is when there's a horizontal relationship that mirrors the vertical relationship, we go out into the world filled up. This is why I love that we're doing Celebrate Recovery for people that are experiencing hurts and hangups and, 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 that, and a journey along those lines. They need a community that, to reinforce the fact that they're loved and to create a space of vulnerability to reinforce the vertical truth in a horizontal capacity. When that happens, we play according to a different scoreboard. We don't have to retaliate if somebody attacks us. Rather, we can play it according to this scoreboard. Am I growing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit? This is how Jesus followers determine the win. 
Am I growing in the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit? Is there evidence of, of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness in my life? Because that's an evidence that the Spirit of God is working in conforming me into the image of the one I follow. And here's the, how about this question? Are people flourishing because of my presence in their lives? Like, if you can, can you look at relationships that you have and are you, are you leveling them up because of your relationship with them? Or are you dragging them down? Here's how we define the win, you guys. Am I growing in deep and reverent love for God? You certainly could add these, add things to this list. But rather than play by merely the world's determinations of wins, and those are certainly things we need on a basic level, but when we are in this deep knowing of our vertical posture with God that he loves us and that's reinforced with the horizontal relationships, we are, have this deep, this strong internal well that we can draw from, from rather than needing something from the world, we offer something to the world, radiant difference, offering heat and light. And here's the thing, it's, it's interesting. Peter says, when we live a life of radiant difference, it should provoke a question. It should provoke searching questions. Tell me more. And so we go to this next section, the confident answer. Verse 15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Peter's saying, he's like, don't be afraid of anyone. Don't live in fear of anyone. Yeah, make wise decisions, but, but revere Christ as Lord. When you fear God, you don't fear man. That's the principle here. Revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. That, those first lines, always be prepared. Peter is assuming that someone will ask you a question this week about why you live a radiant life. He's assuming that someone in the next month or so will say, tell me about like what you seem different. He's assuming that. So he says, always be prepared. Think about the things that you, you carry in your car because you always want to be prepared. We have like the emergency pack, right? In my van right now, I happen to have a flare because I drive a Volkswagen van. I'm always prepared, baby. I got a ratchet set. I'm always prepared. Peter is saying, always be prepared because people will ask you questions if you live a radiant life. I love the, the word, or the word answer there. In the Greek, it's apologia, which is where we get our modern uh, word apologetics. The word apologetics, if you're unfamiliar with it, is the kind of the branch of Christian thinking and ministry that provides answers to questions or provides answers to help with our doubts and our own inter internal searching apologetics. But here's, here's the thing that's important for us to note. Too often, and if you've been around the church for any number of years, apologetics too often is about proving, Christ, that proving Christians are right. And that can be a good thing, 
there's a lot of things that we want to be demonstrated are in fact right. But here's, the, here's what happens is like if apologetics is just about proving that we're right, oftentimes we'll get into conversations that become debates and we think the, the, way, we, the, the, the way forward is by winning the debate. Oftentimes if we win a debate, we lose a friend and if we lose a friend, we don't actually win. Apologetics is, is, yes, about proving the existence of God to the best of our ability. Yes, about, about deconstructing false, uh, false science when and if necessary. Uh, yes, about co- culturally critiquing things that are backwards. But really, it needs to be about more than that. It needs to be about Jesus because only he has the power to save. And if we talk about Jesus with the tone of Jesus, then people start to understand Jesus. But if we try to prove that we're right and someone else is wrong and we forget to point to Jesus and we don't have the tone of Jesus, people will not meet Jesus. So here's, something, here's how I do this. In a conversation with someone, and these are real conversations summarized, somebody might say, well, yeah, but I believe in science. <laughs> and I was, well, me too. I just also happen to believe that a first century rabbi named Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and well, that changed everything, absolutely everything. Well, I couldn't be religious. Religious people are so culturally regressive. Well, I don't feel like I'm culturally regressive either, and I have kind of doubts about using the term religious to, religious to express my faith in, in God, but I just happen to believe that in the first century, a rabbi named Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead, and well, that changed everything. I have a hard time believing in God because look around, look at, look at the world, look at the world. Every, how, how could I believe in God? Well, I, I can imagine that. I, I, I understand that. I just happen to believe that in the first century, a rabbi named Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And well, that changed everything, absolutely everything. Here's, here's yeah, you, I mean, there's five people that want to clap in that, and that's appropriate. Here's what that does. It gets us away from talking about things that don't go down the path that we don't need to go down. And it gets us directed towards the one who can save. If that conversation progressed, I'd say, you know what's interesting to me? In the resurrection accounts, in the gospels, that's the New Testament, you know, tellings of Jesus. And there's, there's women at the tomb who are the first ones to, t- to see the risen Lord. And, and in the first century, the women's testimony was not acceptable in a law court. So you have to ask the question, if you're reading this passage of scripture, why would the disciples put women at the tomb? Because they, they, they know, aren't they shooting themselves in the foot? Because no one would believe, but, but, but unless it was true and they wanted to have integrity to the actual historic events. Wow. So what, you mean I can trust the Bible? Yeah, it seems like they're actually trying to be incredibly uh, faithful to what actually happened. And I'd go on and I'd say, can you imagine a movement starting in the backwaters of a, of, of a, of a large, expansive empire started by fishermen and tax collectors that would go on to become the largest movement throughout history? That seems incredibly unlikely, but that is the story of Christianity defrocked tax collectors and fishermen were the architects for this massive movement. Yeah, right. It almost is like God has to be in this thing. 
And I'd go on and I'd say, can you imagine people like, like going through their whole life maintaining that what they saw Jesus do actually was something that they saw and they experienced even to the point where someone would say, you can recant and save your life or you can hold fast to that and die a martyr's death. The choice is yours. It seems like most people in that situation would want to say, okay, I recant if in fact what they believed wasn't true, but no, 11 of the 12 disciples died martyrs' death because maybe they saw what really they saw and what they experienced was actually true. And the only one that didn't was Judas. And we know how he went, and that was a bad way to go. But 11, it's almost as if it's true. Stay focused on Jesus when you get the searching questions. Don't try to go political or try to prove some abstract notion of God's existence or, or try to critique science or point to how other people are so backwards. Talk about Jesus because he's the only one that has the power to save. Anchor, anchor, anchor. Do you want to know the reason for the hope we have? I just happen to believe that a first century rabbi named Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead and it changed everything, absolutely everything. People will ask you questions if you live radiant lives. Let's give them confident answers, not timid answers, but confident answers. Peter goes on to say we should do so with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect something that is on short order and short supply in this world. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than to do evil. Again, like I said, we are on short supply of gentleness and respect. Uh, 2016, Microsoft uh, unleashed this artificial intelligence Twitter bot um, that was supposed to kind of like be able to navigate human interactions on Twitter and map out according to like basic, the basic level of what most people do on Twitter, just, you know, interact and relate. And it started uh, at the beginning of this as the, with, with kind of like a curious, interested person, like, hey, how are you? The artificial intelligence seemed like it was kind of being kind of like neutral and interested and curious and kind, but within 24 hours after emulating what it saw on Twitter, it became racist and chauvinistic and much more. Just mirroring what it saw. Hello. I've got bad news. Twitter is still a dogfight in a dumpster fire. Uh, I went on to it a couple times recently to check on a kind of a scientist I've been following throughout this kind of pandemical moment, and she had some really encouraging things to say about kind of the end of the pandemic, and I was curious, and I went into the things underneath Twitter, if you're familiar with it, it's the replies, and I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are terrible. How are, why are you attacking this good scientist? And recently I went on it again, I mean, it's, I just need to stop going on Twitter, clearly. John, our executive pastor, assures me that only 20% of the population even has a Twitter account, but still, we are on short supply of what Peter commands us to do. Gentleness and respect. These are the qualities of Jesus. Did you know that? Gentle. Respect. That we are to use the tone of Jesus when we talk about Jesus. 
The only time I've been to Vegas um, was on a mission trip. And uh, I was leading a college ministry and uh, I admittedly didn't do a lot of research into the organization. I knew it was Christian. I knew it was, you know, that was covered. Um, but I knew Vegas and mission trip might get a large group of college students interested, so we, uh, so we went with it. Uh, when we got there, we were informed that we we're going to be doing uh, street evangelism uh, on the Vegas Strip. Uh, and in fact, they wanted us to uh, carry this massive cross down the Vegas Strip and to provoke people asking questions. We declined on that. That seemed like a bridge too far. Um, uh, but the college students did a lot of street evangelism. Now, here's the thing. I don't think street evangelism is an effective use of evangelism, but it is actually good for discipleship as it provokes people to, out of their bubbles to be courageous and to be able to articulate their faith. Don't worry, Anchor is not going to be doing that anytime soon. I admittedly held back a lot. I was kind of like watching it happen. But one time the director of this organization said, come on, let's go do this. And I kind of begrudgingly went along we saw a couple that had big sunglasses and uh, margaritas the size of basketballs. <laughs> the organization's leader started talking to them. We were both standing. They were sitting down. It felt awkward as we couldn't even see their eyes and we were standing above them. It almost sounded, felt like our tone was, like, was better than as we're standing above and we don't have the large margaritas in hand. At one point, they said, yeah, we're just here on a vacation. Our son's really sick. And we haven't had some time alone in a long time. Mom's with our son in Dallas, and, and we're just trying to get away. And all of a sudden, it clicked. Here's these young parents trying to escape the pain of reality with big, margarita, big margaritas in Las Vegas. What happened after that moment was quick. I remember kneeling down, and for the first time, I could kind of see their eyes through the sunglasses. And I said, uh, you know, I believe that there is one named Jesus, and he loves you, and he rose from the dead, and that while that might feel like something that's abstract and far away, it means that that power is still available. And, and, and I don't know quite what you need, and I don't know your story, but like I would love for nothing more for you to experience the power and love of Jesus. The wife took her sunglasses off, and I could see that there were tears that had starting to come down. At one point, they put their margaritas down. I think we were holding hands at one point, and I just kept telling them about that they're loved by Jesus. As many of you know, I probably started crying there pretty quickly in there too. And I don't know what happened after. I don't know where they went. I don't know how their son is. But that's been a picture of like how I want to be able to engage in, with people. I think our apologetics and our answers needs a lot more kneeling rather than standing over needs a lot more eye-to-eye, -eye, needs a lot more tenderness, and probably needs a lot more tears. Because people have searching questions because there's painful realities that they're living with. And they need confident answers, but they need a tone that sounds like Jesus.
band can come up. Again, I want to repeat this whole thing. Radiant lives, Anchor. You're called to live a radiant life. And that radiant life will, mark my words, provoke searching questions. We're called to give confident answers to those searching questions, but to do so with gentleness and respect. I don't know about you, but the ethical commands that Peter gives there, um, they're challenging. That doesn't seem like it comes natural. The, the everything from being um, completely loving, not retaliating, you know, all that stuff. You know, like you could grow up in a really good home and still struggle with that stuff, you know. Here's the thing. They're not natural to any of us. Retaliation is natural. And so we need to continually ask when we hear passages like this for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and conforms us into the likeness of Jesus. So we do communion every week and it's a great reminder to to taste uh, with the cup and the bread the message of Jesus. Jesus said, he said, this is my body. It's given for you, the forgiveness of sins and the last supper with the disciples present. He took the cup. This is my blood. It's shed for you, the new covenant in my blood. It's forgiveness of sins. It's, it's for you. Do this as long as you get together. Do this so that you're, you're reminded of, of who I am and what I'm doing and what it's all about. And so we try to remind ourselves of who he is and, and what it's all about by taking communion each week. And there's prayer stations at the wings. But here's what I want all of us to do somewhere in this next song. Is to simply say, Holy Spirit of God, would you come fill me up? Would you bring to, my, to mind the love of God? Would you bring it to my heart? Would you impress it upon me? Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh again? Would all of us have an open-handed cry-out moment for God so that we could have the power, the actual power to live a life like Peter is calling us to live? I just want to pray that over us right now before we step into this next song and communion and prayer. I want to invite some of us to go to the prayer stations if you're needing somebody to pray for you for that fresh infilling of the Spirit. Just go to the prayer stations. Be courageous. So Spirit of the living God, come in this place. We want more than a religious exercise and and songs that we sing. We want real encounter with the loving, powerful God. God, would you come near in this place? Holy Spirit, would you come near in this place? We want more than being just good, moral, religious people. We want to look like you, Jesus. Spirit, would you be doing that in our lives? We hunger for that. We know for the people with searching questions and painful lives that are avoiding and trying to run away from reality, would you bring, would you interrupt them with us? And for some of us that are experiencing that pain right now, would you meet us with your love? We pray in the powerful name of the one who died and rose again, Jesus.